A car is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit KellyBlueBook.com to get the journey started. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. It's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last crunch berry. No. No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. And we are back with the final keep it of the year. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, and I'm sleeping in my parents' basement fucking already. Just, I cannot wait to put, <laughs> draw the blinds, get into a gingerbread coma, and fuck off. <laughs> it truly feels like we were doing our whole year six shtick like seconds ago. ago like we did a whole photo shoot to like promote the show and like uh, have new art and stuff it turns out that's already a year ago i hate the passage of time i find it is working <laughs> against us i'll keep it starting now okay yeah making us look a fool yes <laughs> i okay i hate the, the the passage of time i'm kind of okay with it because you know I'm black. I'll look like this forever. Right. But um, yeah, I'm about to look like a fucking you, earthworm, bitch. So <laughs> I think you're going to age well. You never know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what actually determines that ultimately. I think you look better now than you did like 10 years ago. Oh, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, I guess we're, we're still going up that um, little um, mountain that's on the prices, right? Yes. Right. Oh, thank you for putting the- it in verbiage. I understand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't know what a mountain was, no. right? Um, <laughs> what I hate about the passage of time is how it is monetized by the blogs. And I say this in the sense that yesterday I saw a post that said, want to feel old? Lizzie McGuire is welcoming her fourth kid with her husband. And I'm like, no shit. The right. people who grew up on Lizzie McGuire have kids themselves. Right. No, what What else did you expect her to do? She's my age. She, I don't have kids because I'm a faggot. Wh- but like, <laughs> want to feel old? Lizzie McGuire is a fucking nun in a monastery, and you'll never see her again. <laughs> what? It's different, maybe, if it's someone who was famously a kid or baby, and it's just we haven't heard from them forever, and it's like, oh wow, they're an adult now. That's shocking, but. Liz McGuire, Hillary Duff has stayed in the news and on TV pretty much since we've been kids. So, no, I've seen her grow up. Right, right. No, she's at exactly the age she should be. Yeah, people, it, it's, I mean, it's the same thing at Kimmel. We always do this bit where we uh, use footage of newscasters being like, can you believe it's October already? And it's like a hundred of them in a row. Like they all do the same <laughs> thing. It's like, yes, that's the one thing I can believe in this world. <laughs> I have a calendar. Right, yeah. Here it comes. I'm seeing it. Well, 
It's Keep It. So can you believe some celebrities died? My favorite segment of the show, Guess Who Died? You know I love it. I don't mean to say it's jolly at all. One of these is like entirely unexpected. The unbelievable Andre Brower, whom, I mean, like, the performances he gave and various things are so not related at all. It is almost unfair to pick a favorite. Like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has nothing to do with um, homicide life on the street, which has nothing to do with glory, which has nothing to do with the Shakespeare in the park. He did. Um, he was great on that show, men of a certain age with, uh, Ray Romano and Scott Bakula. He, uh, utterly commanding, literally the minute he's looking at another character and the, uh, camera is fixed on him. You are transfixed. Just like an instant star. Every time he was on screen. I obviously grew up watching him on homicide and it's been so interesting to see, I guess his evolution, because obviously he's done theater as well, too. Um, and he worked in the Harlem Theater, um, which he asked people to donate to in lieu of sending flowers. Which, which is, is like great. the tears uh, just fucking flying. What an amazing thing to uh, ask. But um, his work in film, he was always a person who just sort of popped up in things. And I loved that we got Brooklyn Nine-Nine to get sort of a resurgence of his career in the public consciousness. And especially just because that character is so fucking funny. And a cop, a cop shouldn't be funny. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. He's working against a lot right here. Um, I saw an uh, amazing remembrance by Dan Feinberg, who I bring up all the time. I used to work with him at Hit Fix years ago, but he works for The uh, Hollywood Reporter. And he talked about interviewing him, I think, in mm. the middle of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And how it was like a there was like a comedy roundtable situation. He's like, I don't even know if I belong here. Meanwhile, he's like, at that point, one of the funniest characters on TV. You know, he's one of those dramatic actors who's like, is this funny? Will I will I know years from now whether or not I was funny? You know, and he fucking was. He just could do anything. Mm, there, there was a very funny tweet from Princess Penny who worked with him, and uh, it's about um, he was talking with him and Terry Crews on set, and Princess tweeted. One of my other favorite memories was me, him, and Terry Crews talking on set. He was so warm with us, and then when a white person would walk by, he'd look serious again. He then leaned in and said, gotta keep him on the toes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is so funny. Um, uh, also, I want to say on Homicide Life on the Street, which was my dad's favorite show and made me afraid of the television. That is an intense series. <laughs> you would walk into the room on like a Friday night and that would be on. You'd be like, this is entertainment? We're trying to get into the weekend right now? Um, you think SVU is crazy? That's, that's wacky. SVU is melodrama and camp. Homicide Life on the Street was, I guess, an equivalent of Fox News. Yeah. You, you, thought, you thought that you were going to find crack rocks outside your door every time you went outside <laughs> no every episode should have been called shit like what <laughs> yeah um but everybody on that show was amazing you know you had your uh richard belzer uh melissa leo etc uh yafit koto fabulous actor and yet he was the um undisputed best thing about the show couldn't have worked without him um, uh, the, I think the most famous episode of that, so that show is called The Box, where he goes through a massive sort of, uh, an about, I don't know about breakdown, but he tears through a room. Start there if you want to see uh, his greatness uh, on that show. Also, just an Gwyneth Paltrow's on that episode, right? The bo <laughs> not the same box. Not the same box. <laughs> the different boxes. Damn. Uh, <laughs> do, do you think she gets tired of people making that joke like around the holidays? I feel like that's probably just entirely supplanted with all the fucking superhero movie shit. You know, I'm, maybe she's begging for people to bring up that movie again. Please bring up Seven. But also, <laughs> she's like, I don't even remember really being an actor, so that sort of sounds familiar to me. Doesn't it feel like she had mm -hmm. that all like kind of lobotomized? <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, she, she just loves selling you pussy juice now. Right. Or whatever it is. Yeah, just squeeze, sque- squeezing her vagina into candles. Right. Aromatic into... vagina products. <laughs> yes. Into coffee. Hazelnut pussy flavor. I don't know. Hazelnut vagina. Yeah. Remember it was shocking the first time that she sold something on Goop and it was vagina related? Now it feels quaint. Right. No, it's like, oh, what a cute small business owner this is. <laughs> One of the other celebrities who died recently was Ryan O'Neal, who we were just talking about right? because of Barbara's memoir. What a... um interesting life checkered life uh maybe he um sucked actually but um uh, i mean there's that famous story of he was at farrah fawcett's funeral and he yes. hadn't seen uh his daughter tatum o'neill the oscar winner for paper moon whom he co-starred with um and he didn't recognize her it had been so long and proceeded to hit on her uh i can't think of another story like that i'm sorry to bring it up in the context of his death but i'm sorry it's a notable thing to know about somebody let's talk about the movies he was in what's up doc my favorite comedy ever with uh barbara streisand giving my favorite comic performance ever uh i said this in a tweet when ryan o'neill died maybe the greatest hen-pecked man in cinema history if you watch him in love story ali mcgraw's sort of dressing him down the entire time that movie also sucks. So, I mean, keep your expectations low. It's so bad. And, like, what? It's, what? It's, why was this a phenomenon? What, like, she was gorgeous? I think maybe that's why. They were good looking. Before I saw it, that was one of the films that I feel like was a high focal point of um, I Love the 70s. Right. Yeah. Every, everybody saw it. Like, the reason that they both got acting nominations is because everybody saw that movie. It was unavoidable. Um, he's also amazing in Paper Moon. I think film uh, super fans, uh, the thing they are most obsessed with with him is Barry, Barry Lyndon. Lyndon. Definitely his like most interesting contribution to the screen. That movie is definitely see it on, uh, on a big screen. Don't ever watch it at home. It deserves. It's a Kubrick movie. It deserves like uh, your full attention when you're watching it. But um, yeah, lots of great performances and a, a hard life. Yeah, look up what happened with his kids and lots of strange things going on in his life. Have you ever seen Partners? The with him and John Hurt. Oh no no no! I thought you were talking about the uh, multicam series on uh, with like a uh, uh, Brandon Routh. No, I have not seen that. There is a series of um, th- there's like murders in the gay community in L.A. and Ryan O'Neill is a straight cop who's paired with a gay cop and they have to solve the murders and it is very dumb. Okay, and I am sort of psych- homophobic. <laughs> you don't say. I was like, how do they get it's Ryan like, O'Neill on board here? It's from 1982. Oh right. So it's also pre-AIDS. So interesting. Um, uh, uh, you know what I will say he's pretty good in? Not a great movie. The main event with Barbara Streisand where she becomes uh, a boxing promoter and he's a boxer. Like they had a fun rapport actually. Of all the people she would co-star in a movie twice with, you would not think Ryan O'Neill would be that guy. But that's... I have not seen that. Also, by the way, do you know the theme to the main event, motherfucker? Oh, of course I know the theme. Okay, well, I'm just saying around that time people think, okay, well, she popped off with Enough is Enough with Donna Summer. Oh no, wait till you hear the theme to the main event where I guess like just... The cocaine went up and like flew through Yentl onto the screen. Yeah. <laughs> I have not seen the main event. I should watch it. I should pair it with that Meg Ryan uh, boxing movie. Oh, Behind what the Ropes? Ag- Against, Against the Ropes. The ropes. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh-huh. I fully remember her, and I believe it's Omar Epps on the poster. And it's, it's one of those 2000 ones where it's just people, 
you know, like their their full bodies up from their waist and just standing and they're posing. I love that kind of poster. Oh yeah, which just reminds me of the fact that people tried to say that anyone but you poster of them sitting on the dock of the bay, whatever was throwing back to the 2000s, but the 2000s had better posters than that. Yeah, no. In fact, it may be like the, the the halcyon days of movie posters. We really nailed it there. Before everything became like um, a thriller with like blue and yellow lighting, like Contagion. Um. Anyway, Ryan O'Neill was good in some movies. Yes, and uh, in- interesting, uh, a good run in the 70s. Yeah, um... Anyway, this episode, we are going to dive deeper into uh, another celebrity who died recently, uh, Norman Lear. Oof. I mean, it's very overwhelming to even approach the subject of Norman Lear. I mean, it's just definitely the most influential figure in TV history. Just number one. Like, the, everything you like about good episodic television stems from what he brought to television. Yeah. And we're also going to get into our superlatives of the year. Who's the best? So, we get to choose. And because it's a podcast, we have authority. That's how it works. <laughs> and our guest this week is the one and only Andy Cohen. I kind of can't believe he hasn't been here before. I love people who are just, you know, like born to keep speaking. That's sort of my bag. Well, we love those people. I feel like he has a Las Costa residency. So, oh, is you know, he always contract on that negotiations. Show? No, Las Costa. I feel like he's probably been on it once, but. <laughs> oh, is that some sort of Telemundo series? In my, in my mind, in my mind. It feels like he's been on every week. Got it. Okay. Well, yeah, they're very housewives oriented. Because they're yes. on. They're on. Watch what happens live. Right. Lots, I so, went to college. You know. Unfortunately, it's different. <laughs> this show will not be coming back next year <laughs> with Lewis. <laughs> All right. We will be back with more. Keep it. Don't miss Pod Save America's special Pundies episode dropping tomorrow. I don't know what that means. I need to not ask. I'm, I'm simply not curious. I'm not going to be there. In this episode, John, John, Tommy, and Dan award the worst political takes of 2023, including their own. And half of them will probably be from the times we talked about politics on this show. Right. Look forward to that. Find out if you agree tomorrow only on Pod Save America. We are finally saying keep it to 2023, but before we let you go, we figured we'd send you off with a few awards that you will not see on the morally corrupt Golden Globes (laughs) or any other TV ceremony. Right. The Golden Globes and the Emmys are like right next to each other, so we're just going to watch like the cast of Succession like stand at a dais for like a week straight. Jesus. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's kick this off with, I think we got into this last week, actually, but... Best movie of the year. Tough question. What is yours? I will say, a friend of mine was just saying, oh, it's a really great year for movies. I would say I have not seen anything that exceeds an A-. I've not seen everything yet. So I'm like, I haven't seen, uh, for instance, Maestro or American Fiction. There's a few movies out there. I think my favorite movie of the year is Passages with uh, uh, the delightful Ben Wishaw, finally out of his constricting Paddington drag. And now back on our screens. <laughs> and I would say, like, obviously, I'm always thrilled to see what I find to be, I don't know about a realistic gay relationship, but an interesting one, you know. Uh, and Franz Rogowski, who plays his paramour in the movie, plays 
by the end of the film, you realize what a dark and um, haunting figure he really is. But it really takes you on a full journey to realize you've just experienced an entire character being really well conveyed on screen. The sex scenes are, I would say, rad. I've not seen anything like that in a movie in a long... No, ever. What am I saying? Ben Wishaw's hole gets touched. That's how you, <laughs> that's how you get a number one movie of the year vote for me. <laughs> Ooh, he took that raincoat off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what a- Paddington. We saw we saw that bear's back. <laughs> Paddington said loosen up my buttons, baby. Get some marmalade on that puss. Say what? I fucking loved passages. I feel like um I'm glad that I use letterbox now. I think that's my resolution for 2024. I'll get into that. I'll get in. Mostly, well, I'm mostly glad because you can go, since you log everything and you put like a star rating for it, I've gone back and I've looked at, I've ranked every movie that I've seen this year. I did the list of it and it went in order of highest rank to lowest. So I've been remembering, you know, things like, oh my God, I did see Passages earlier this year and I gave it four stars, you know, out of five. The only two films that I've given five this year are, so far, May, December, and Poor Things. And Poor Things, for me, is my favorite movie of the year. Okay, I respect that. My thing about May, December, I don't think the Natalie Portman character is interesting enough. It's just, she's a crazy actress. That's it. And isn't that the point? (laughs) Sorry, that's melodrama or whatever people are screaming about. (laughs) That boring-ass conversation about whether our movies can. You will respect the work of Douglas Sirk. Uh, I, I no, I've actually seen these movies. I feel like you maybe saw one Douglas Sirk movie based on how you constantly ah! reference him. <laughs> which, which I've seen Magnificent Obsession, Written on the Wind. I have I, seen, I don't like Written on the Wind. Uh, it's boring. Wait, that's my favorite one. I, I like Dorothy Malone and it kind of to me that's weird that she won the Oscar. I, Robert Stack is not a good actor. Anyway. I really love about that one is you know the the commentary of like the black people who work there, especially towards the end when she's mamboing her people to death. Right. And then, you know, we're shooting people at the end. And then the black staff there is just sort of like, what are these crazy white people? Doing? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into those movies some other time. Yes. Um, what's our next topic? Um, Next one, best TV show of 2023. I'm going to let you start here. I'm actually, I, I'm mixed on this one. This was actually a really good year for TV. I think I, I agree I with that. I really, I liked, and there's some really interesting, fun ones that I loved, like Jury Duty. Yeah, sure. But I think my favorite show of the year is Gen V, the spinoff of The Boys on Amazon. It is dark and gross like The Boys, but it's it's funny. It feels light. Um, I just like the setting of setting this superhero story on a college campus but doing that setting of the boys where it's like these superheroes are being commercialized and how that interacts with the government and how people view them and it's just really sort of fun and it feels more metaphorical than the boys does i was about to actually to say jury duty is my favorite because there's something about picking that guy where it's like um do you remember the jinx a few years ago where just like something yeah. about the reality of this situation all lined up for the show? Like it just ended up being an A plus by virtue of good casting, great story beats, whatever. And uh, uh, the jinx is not similar. It's about somebody who killed somebody. But th- anyway, the way it all lined up, it ended up being a great show. But do you know what I'm going to fucking say? 
Dead ringers, mm. bitch. I'm sorry. The mm. what, what she brought to the screen, and I'm talking about Rachel Weisz, who came to keep it and was frankly too polite for us. I, it was like we she needed to not be meeting us. We're mean people. <laughs> she is unbelievable on that show. The character Jennifer Ely on that show was excellent, and then we like completely blanked it at the Emmys. It's like a real black spot on that award show for me. Uh, she, I think, I believe she's nominated for a Golden Globe. Thank God. So maybe she's back in the conversation now. My other show would be a show that I only recently discovered. So, you know, I wasn't watching it week to week, but found on NBC. I am obsessed with What is this? I saw you t- tweeting about okay. it. You were, you were making a ruckus. And I, you know, I was like, Tur- <laughs> turn this down. Turn this down. I said. So, Shanola Hampton is the lead. You remember her from Shameless. Yes. Uh, she plays a sort of like an Olivia Popish character who works with a team of people who help find kidnapping victims, people who like the the police, the system doesn't normally look for, mm. you know, uh, victims of color, queer people, uh, trans people, sex workers, uh, older people, ex- un- undocumented people, etc. Uh, she was kidnapped as a kid by this um, guy named Sir who was sort of, like, imagining there was, like, a family between them. Um, he, he did not assault her. Uh, the, sh- the show lets us know that. But he kidnapped her and was, like, playing just, like, house with her, right? He was obsessed with her. This is Mark Paul Gosseler. Oh. So he plays the character. Wow, all right. The twist at the end of the pilot is that he is helping her solve these kidnapping crimes each week because she has kidnapped him uh, and is keeping him chained up in her basement. Oh, we love it. Oh, that's so funny. Feels like an O. Henry story. You d- you couldn't yeah. have guessed. Look at this twist. So, I'm obsessed with that show. Oh, and okay. It's, it's like SVU levels of um, over-the-top well argued. stories. Well argued. Okay, what's next? Best album? Yeah, best album 2023. What's yours? Okay, I'm only going to go based off my what my phone is telling me I listen to. I'm going with the Ava mm-hmm. Max album. Diamonds and Dance Floors, because it's just unpretentious. Here are 12 songs. Not one of them is a ballad about a lost love or anything like that. It is just this woman who I believe is generated through AI and like sidewalk chalk. I don't know like anything about <laughs> who she is as a person. Her name is a captcha. You know what I'm saying? It's just you put it on. You want it wherever you go, whether it's like working out or you're in the car. It's like it uh, sort of uh, energizes you, electrifies you as you walk through time or hit the club or whatever. I'm a big fan of this album. I love the Ava Max album. Honestly, she does feel so mysterious and just sort of she's there. Like that if you told me we interviewed Ava Max this year, right. I believe you. Right. Maybe we didn't learn anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are songs about lost loves. Maybe you're the problem. Yes, oh, Ghost on that album I love so much. Yeah, but they're all bangers, one after the other. I mean, it's it, it's just it's a tapestry, honestly. And I don't just mean Carol yeah. Kings. I mean a tapestry mm. of the human spirit. Well, welcome to the Maxisons. <laughs> I think my favorite album this year. There were a lot that I really enjoyed. You know, I, Paramore came back with a really good album this year. Sufjan had a great album. Um, but if I'm talking about the things that I just listened to the most, um, it was Kaliuchis's album, Red Moon and Venus. And, and why is that? How did, what was the chokehold here about? What's interesting is a lot of people were confused that I didn't have Scissors album high on my Spotify wrapped. And I think that Kaliuchis's album was the one that was more of the, um, I'm sad 
<laughs> you Got know, it. like moody album for me to listen to. And uh, Scissors is, I prefer Control to SOS. SOS was a little long for me. And it's a, and I wish the album was a bit more like um, Seek and Destroy and um, Kill Bill, like angrier. Um, and then, it, but then it gets a little too, you know, I don't, I don't want to be marred in this sad relationship shit um, at the middle and end of the album for me personally. And I feel like Red Moon and Venus sort of goes into past relationships and sadness, but it's really sort of about fuck the person that you were with, fuck whatever they're doing. Got yeah. It. Okay. Next up, let's be a couple of fellas doing a podcast. Okay. Best nude scene. Wow. Well, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm going to go with passages again because of. Mm. I, again, I can't compare it to any previous scene. It's not like Brokeback Mountain. It's not like Short Bus. It's not like all these other, you know, we only have a few like gay sex scene landmarks in quote unquote popular film. So, and none of them registered to me watching this movie. It also felt so organic to the script. Like you kind of needed to see that scene too. Here's me speaking mm-hmm. to Gen Z. It's a, it's, it's a viable sex scene. It belongs in the movie. <laughs> I also think Gen you know, Z is very maligned in this way. Like, there's not, there's no way they all fucking think sex scenes in movies are totally unnecessary. It feels like old people guessing what they're into. It's just the annoying ones on Twitter, right? Right. Who also think we shouldn't have Grinder? Oh, I, that's new to me. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, there was a viral tweet last this week where someone wrote, clearly a teenager. Grinder is a predatory app, and it should be deleted. Can't you just say you don't like it? Predatory? Come on now. It's like people are afraid their arguments don't have enough weight in it, so they have to be accusing somebody of a crime. Anyway, um, what would you say? It's been a a year for gays on trips, you know, being new. The the gays, they're taking passages and they're they're traveling with their fellows. Yes. There's a lot of sex on that. But if you say so fellas one more time, you are legally Ethel Merman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellas, come over <laughs> and say hi to Dolly. But there's not really nudity on fellow travelers. You know, there's, right. there's the hints of nudity. Uh, there's ass shots. So mine is going to be Jennifer Lawrence and No Hard Feelings. Ah. Oh, my God. You're talking about when she's at the beach. <laughs> And, when she's uh, at the beach and she's naked and she goes and punches that guy in the face. That is a very funny scene. And also, we've pimped this movie enough. I just hope everybody gets a chance to see it because it is a throwback to a time when we made yeah. charming movies. It feels like charm is almost a thing of the past now. It's not really what people are seeking out in their uh, – because like movie stars are a thing of the past. Like who under the age of 30 is a household name who's a movie star? Just Zendaya. Yeah, That's I know. Everything. Right. Like it's It's like – and like t- movies aren't even her primary thing, really, you know. Yeah, it's it's, it's walking on red carpets, right? Yeah, B- <laughs> sultriness—that's her primary. <laughs> mode. Honestly, it was weird seeing the uh, that that Dune um, thing that they had had, where they were all on stage was Timothy and Zendaya and Florence Pugh. It was just a shock seeing them all on stage together again. Like, oh, you did make a movie together. Right. By the way, remember that Florence Pugh is in fucking Oppenheimer? Who is she playing? Sex person? What is that role? Why did she take it? Can I give you a... Can I tell you something? Hmm. I still haven't seen Oppenheimer. I don't know a thing about you. That feels very crazy to me. <laughs> how about you... How about you, know you what? How about you walk that little ass to the theater and fucking go see it? 
<laughs> is it still in theaters? Probably. I know. No, no. Christopher Nolan. Right, right, right. I, I will I will try to watch it at home and Christopher Nolan will will show up with the feds to my apartment <laughs> and say, We are taking you to the Angelica Theater <laughs> so you can watch it. Uh, you know what actually happened is I was in Cartagena when Barbie uh, Heimer yes. dropped and I got back and I saw Barbie with my friends obviously because we were just getting drunk and seeing it at whatever theater, right? I kept trying to see Oppenheimer, how it was supposed to be seen. What was it, like 35 millimeter or whatever? I know nothing about those things, but yes. All those screenings were sold out. Truly, through the end of its fucking run. And then I just forgot about going to see it. Okay. So, well, I will see it before the Oscars. Okay. Good. Obviously. Good. Okay. Um, the Barbara Streisand Award for One Too Many Pages. Just, oh, I see. Can I give it to Barbara Streisand? I mean, I, it, <laughs> I, would, I would say the, the memoir only needs to be 998 pages, not 1,066 or whatever it is. But What would you cut? It's, no, honestly, nothing. Because it's yeah. such an extraordinary career and every part of it is specific to her. Like no other celebrity has these individual eras. You know, like she's not like what entertainer is she ultimately like? She's not she's not Beyonce or Lady Gaga and she's not people who precede her either. She's not like Frank Sinatra or, um, you know, these uh, sort of balladeer type people. Um, she's just an explosive personality. And also it's like. I think she does such a good job of making you feel like you're reliving the moment with her. Like she's talking about like decisions she has to make and like problems she has to solve and what she thought and what everybody else thought. And usually she's saying I was right and they were wrong, but still it's an interesting dilemma to be a part of. So, I mean, I, I just, I, got some cuts. I just got to a part where she talks about Bill Clinton's mom for too long. Maybe that. Oh, well this, I was, I was literally <laughs> about to say she goes on a little bit too much about the Clintons. Yeah. Right, right, right. Read the room, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> We've had enough. <laughs> uh, she uh, she emerged from her bunker and, and handed the book to her publisher. And the publisher was like, I don't think people want to hear about the Clintons anymore. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm not going back to that book. <laughs> okay, lastly, the Jacob Elordi Award for Best Jacob Elordi. I mean, I, I am upset that his performance in Priscilla does not seem to be lining up with the Oscars conversation. To me, that is a supporting performance worth getting behind. Obviously, Charles Melton, I'm really excited about. He's fabulous in May, December. He was on Kimmel last night. Needs a little help with the media training. Needs a little help. But um, uh, 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 loved him in that movie. And uh, he was great also in Saltburn. I mean, the, re the reason Saltburn works for like the first three quarters of it is because his it's charm him. takes you there. You know, it's like Jude Law and the talented Mr. Rip. You're like, there's an X factor about this person and I have to learn more about it. He's also the reason Priscilla works. Yes, I know. I like Priscilla more than you do, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you had to make up for Barbie. <laughs> I continue to be right about that. I'm sorry. Somebody printed out the feminism <laughs> speech in that. Guys, it sounds like AI. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you liked it. Also, I can't, when people say things like, I'm so glad like little girls get to see a speech like this. They don't know it's cliched. I like little girls to see good writing. What? Like, why are you so condescending? Anyway. My favorite Jacob Elordi was the Saltburn press tour. He was working it. Oh, sure. Looking fab. Every time he, every time he would touch... Barry Keoghan's leg or like his his shoulder or hug him, kiss him on the cheek. He's it it and it never felt like gay baiting to me. It feels like that's who he is. Yeah. 
Um, and make no mistake, that's a straight guy. When he starts talking, yes. I'm like, okay, we have nothing in common. Enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports. You see him walking around with his death cult hat on that all the bros in LA love because James Franco popularized it. Like it's like he's he's straight. Yeah. Right. Okay. All the signs. The are books there. he's reading too. Give it up, delicious. Okay. <laughs> he is not, he is not gonna even let you suck his dick. <laughs> <laughs> just to see what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sucking dick, when we're back, Andy Cohen joins us. Ah, yes! <laughs> uh-huh. And if you think that is a wild statement, wait till you hear how he starts off this interview. Yeah, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Never. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Our guest today has many titles, producer, host, presenter, author, mastermind, referee, New Year's Eve drink appreciator, and so many more. He spawned a dynasty of Bravo shows and the reason we have an army of housewives to love or kind of love. I can think of no one better to close out a year of incredible Keep It guests than with Andy Cohen. Welcome to Keep It. Good morning, everybody. Congratulations. I hear congratulations are in order. For we've stuck around, I guess. Sure, we stuck around. No, didn't yeah. we just celebrate an iconic number of episodes or something like that? Yes, oh, that's did. right. Three hundred, yes. and go. we just wrapped our. This is the last episode of our sixth year. So that's major. Well, there you go. That's when I show up. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we've made it. God damn it! Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Andy, you're doing New yes, Year's Eve. Yes, again, yes. and uh. 
How how is doing this show on New Year's Eve in a place where, as a New Yorker, I personally would never set foot? Nor would I have. <laughs> uh, but and nor would I if I wasn't doing New Year's Eve, I wouldn't mm-hmm. go either. That being said, it is so exciting co-hosting New Year's Eve. I absolutely love it. It is the greatest gig. And the fact that I get to do it with Anderson, who I love working with, it's really cool. And it's very magical. It's He's referred to it as a telethon with no disease, which is what it feels like. I mean, you're literally <laughs> killing time on worldwide television for uh, like five hours. But man, when midnight hits and they play New York, New York, and you're there with all the confetti, it's... It's pretty magical. It's like you're edging for four hours and then like the biggest orgasm you can imagine. If I can put it in terms, you guys might understand. Thank you. Gooner terms. Thank you so much. Gooner terms. Yeah, you're gooning out, hoppering up, edging out, and then it just all rips. Uh, which reminds me, I think of you as somebody who generally embraces the, the chaos of any, that that too, embraces okay. the chaos of any live moment. But what, is there any time you've been on camera where you were actually shocked by something that happened in a way that was unsettling? Like you had to figure out how to regroup and work with the insanity of the moment. Wow. Uh, plenty of times. I mean, there have been times when my guests have said something that I've thought was vaguely racist or just not good. And I've just kind of had to move on. Uh, or there've been times where um, I've gotten the giggles during a very inopportune moment. There was a time when we had a bartender who was there because they were raising money after some terrible disaster. And I was introing the person and I couldn't, I was like laughing. I mean, it, I don't know what <laughs> was <Lord>. happening. <laughs> and I producer in my ear was like, get it together. And of course that made me go even further. So yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> um, I will speaking of just like being on air and being, you know, a host and MC, uh, it's funny, we brought this up when Billy Eichner was on the show. Lewis and I love going back to that pilot that you shot with Joan Rivers. Oh my God, Straight yes. Talk, which is so funny. And it's just sort of... You saw it? Have you, well, it's it's on YouTube. Somebody oh, threw you, it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing on YouTube? The whole thing is on YouTube, yeah. But just like from that first time where you were on a show like that, sort of what were you thinking that you wanted your, I guess career to be did you want to be a talk show host did you want to do that well i always wanted to be on the air but i gave up that dream i really had given that up and i was at cbs news for all of the 90s working behind the scenes and um every so often i would audition for something uh for mtv or something and my auditions were always horrible and then I became head of programming at Bravo. And I certainly, and I work 
for two women, one of whom I still work for. And they very much, they're no nonsense. They, they're mentors to me, Lauren Zelazic and Francis Barrick. And they really were, they, they liked me doing the job that I was doing. But Lauren saw something in me that, and she knew I had wanted to be on the air and she kind of let me do it as a side project. So mm. I really owe her. People think I gave myself my own show, but it's impossible to give yourself your own show. You know, everyone has a boss. You know what I mean? And so um, she really saw something in me and she put me on that Joan pilot and I'm sure I'm terrible. And I, I think I, I think I was like the Meredith on that Joan pilot. I was kind of directing traffic. If I'm wrong, I haven't seen it in many, 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 many years. <laughs> um, and uh, so there you go. Now, I, what I, I think, I, I, I think I bailed out of that of my answer. <laughs> but I wanted, to, I wanted to be on the air, but I, I knew that I could never leave my day job. And when they, you know, so when they, when she said host this show on BravoTV.com, I was so excited. But I knew I had to do my day job as good as I possibly could because otherwise, I would, you know, I would. I, I'd get fired from everything. I didn't want them to think that I thought I was worth something as an on-air host because I wasn't. Who were the hosts you cared about prior to becoming one? Like, did you grow up with certain hosts that you thought like, oh, that actually makes me think I could do this or I want to be like that person? That is a good question. You know, there was no one. I wanted to be myself on TV, which is Pathetic. exactly what I'm doing now, which is amazing. <laughs> but at that time, there weren't, a lot of people who were kind of being, you know, it was like VJs on MTV. Yeah. And people mm -hmm. were on the real world. There wasn't a spot because also I'm not a comedian. You know, I ask questions for a living. That's I'm really an interviewer. That's kind of and I'm situationally humorous, I would say. So that's I, I don't you know, I don't know that there was I mean, Howard Stern uh, and Larry King. I think were two people that I was like, okay, I, I would, I like what they're doing. And also like them, you're really more like your vibe, even on screen is like radio ish too. Like, let's let this conversation like take hold and turn into something, which is so yeah. different than I feel like, like I write, write for a talk show myself. Like that's not the nature of talk shows most of the time, you know? Can we say what talk show you write? For? Oh yeah. I write for Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Oh, wow. Big fan. Adal. As far as straight men go, fun. You know what I'm saying? Great guy. Yes. A great guy. In your sort of history of being on air then, what would you say is something that you've learned maybe early on or sort of midway, especially once you started doing um, the Housewives reunions and then when you were hosting Watch What Happens Live? Like, what have you learned that you sort of maybe fixed how you were doing your job and now you find that you're much better at it? I think listening is always key. Listening and jumping on something that you hear. And if you hear a nugget of something, I always try to take advantage of um, if someone slips up or reveals something that they don't realize that they're saying it. I, I just think listening is very important and giving yourself the freedom to take the conversation in a different place where it's not planned. Everything is so planned on television these days. And what I love about Watch What Happens Live is that we can go in 
any direction. It's fine. We are killing stuff constantly while we're while we're doing the show. I think one of my favorite things about Watch What Happens Live is when you have legends on, whether it's like I'm a hardcore Jane Fonda stan, or one yeah. time you had Jack Hay on rather famously, and she, you know, let loose. Um, you ask them questions that they haven't been asked a thousand times. Like, for, like for instance, like when we do get the rare Barbara Streisand interview, it's still the same three fucking questions. It's like, yes. you didn't have a father. You're right. a perfectionist, whatever. And it's like, this show really gets into the nitty gritty of people we actually are obsessed with. And, uh, Thank you. That's one of my favorite things too. And um, Julia Roberts was on recently. Yes, she was fabulous. That like, was that was great. It was great. And I just <laughs> feel like for me, it is so exciting when someone's finally on. And you know, it's nine out of 10 times really exciting for them too, because they leave and they're like, there's no pre-interview. So they're so psyched they didn't have to do that. But also it's a celebration of that person and they feel celebrated, but also they're like, what you know, Julia Roberts, there were a few things I said, and she's like, Wow, I've never been asked that, or wow, that's a good question. And that makes me feel like I did my job. And wow, this is great. Do you have a favorite le legend you've like tangled with and like they ended up revealing something new about themselves that surprised you? Well, I mean, I think when Oprah was on, it was just super exciting for me. It's always people like that who I love and I, you know, grew up loving. It's like Oprah or Cher or Gaga, we just had Nicki Minaj on, you know, just anyone who's so huge. It's just, there's a buzz at the show and, and I'm buzzed from it too. I, one of my favorite segments you've done that I, I forget the name of is you'll just ask a celebrity if you'll, you'll take random names and ask if they ever met somebody. It's have you met them? Yes. It's, it's like, great. what great question. Like Jane Fonda, did you run into whatever the carpenters? Right. Like, I'm just curious, you know, I love that. And that's something that I've played with famous people who I know through the years. And so, yes, I just translated to watch what happens live. And that's all. It always works. I can't believe I've never seen that before. It's like it's such a good segment. Thank you. I mean, it's a funny question, too, just because of the fact that I love I loved early on in like writing about pop culture when I would discover that you think that all these people just sort of know each other. You think even if they're at an event that they're going to be talking to each other, but they really don't. They're there. Yeah. They're sort of doing their job and then they leave. So it's yeah. really interesting when you find out people who have weird connections and stuff like that. I agree. Um, going back to Julia Roberts, uh, I just I was so enamored with that interview, and I find that um, it's always fun when you find a celebrity who comes on and they seem to be game to talk about Housewives, or maybe they've watched it. It's just sort of like. What's it like talking to them and getting them into, like, I guess, reading um, a scene from a show? You know, there was the Ray Fiennes one. You had Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. Like, does Julie Roberts actually watch Real Housewives? Which I wouldn't be shocked because she, she used does. to— She does. Okay, yeah, she famously watched Days of Our Lives for years. She does watch Housewives, and she was behind— um, but oh. that morning we were going to do Bravo. No, they didn't with her, which is where I just ask her all of her opinions on current shows, but she was pretty behind mm -hmm. that morning. I woke up and I was like, I had seen how much traction we were getting from the Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman thing. And um, I, frankly, I woke up that morning and go, wait a minute, we should do name them with Julia Roberts. It's the perfect <laughs> scene for her. So we sent it to her 
uh, person that morning. And that's how that happened. And they showed it to her and Julia said, oh my God, I have to do that. So I was very <laughs> excited about that. But it's, um, you know, yeah, it's our reel now is so good of Oscar winners portraying you know, housewives or Vanderpump people that all we have to do is show someone three other people doing it. Also, it gets so much, it's so good for them because they look game. And also it gets so much pickup and everybody loves to see it. So it's like, would you rather play plead the fifth or be in a housewives scene <laughs> or both? She did both, by the way. I'm never surprised that you're really good friends with uh, Kelly Ripa, who I feel like is sort of like, a, a parallel like talent to yours in a way where it's like there's something about her where I just would admit everything and what do you think that quality is that you have because I feel like people don't even think about it it's like Howard Stern I guess they just go on and they're like actually here's everything you have ever questioned about me I'll just go ahead and say it I think that they know that even though I go first of all I think it's it's like I love doing the Howard Stern show because it 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 keeps you on the edge of your seat. Again, you're edging out sitting there with Howard. Um, a theme this episode. I'm really yes. working on this edging. <laughs> um, no, but you're, you know, it keeps you on your toes and it's exciting because you don't know what's going to happen. And if you do a lot of interviews, you know, you kind of have a sense of what's going to happen. So I think it's exciting for people to come down. It feels dangerous. It's like dangerous, but. Ultimately, I'm not going, look, sometimes a lot of times a Julia Roberts or Nicki Minaj or whatever, it's on tape. So they know that if something absolutely horrible happens, they can say, well, you need to trim that down or, you know, whatever. But um, also, I think they know I'm rooting for them. I don't want them to leave mad. I want to play by the rules. And if they come in and say, look, no questions about exes, then I'm not going to ask, you know, then I won't ask questions about exes. It's fine. Mm. Um, as a personality, I also wonder how you feel about just being, um, the show gets so much traction and you, the people talk about housewives all the time on social media, but how have you been able to, I guess, deal with the fact that people talk about you online as much as they talk about the housewives and then, get involved in like your life and what you do publicly in a way that they don't, I feel like other TV hosts, like no one's, no one's digging into like what Kelly Ripa's doing. You yeah. know? Well, part of the thing is I, I share a lot. So I'm putting myself out there. So, you know, you can't put yourself out there to the degree that I do. And then say it's unfair that people are having opinions on it or commenting on it. But I think sometimes it, um, sometimes you really have to have a thick skin. I think the people that are the hardest on me are gay guys sometimes, which doesn't feel I'm great. Shocked. Some, yeah, I know. Isn't that stunning? <laughs> uh, it's like, wow, I kind of thought we were all in the same. I mean, listen, that thing that happened to me, Ira actually really helped me, frankly. Thank you, Ira. I of ran course. into gay pride weekend and I, uh, there was that thing where someone took a video of me at a club on pride weekend with someone sitting on my lap and I'm like playing with, with his nipples a little bit. And the video went all over the place. And I was really embarrassed. I was like, I was really embarrassed. And I saw Ira, um, at a party the next day and, um, 
he was very sweet with me and he was like, it's okay. People are actually on your side. And I was like, they are because usually it's like he, you know, they go for it. But, um, yeah. So I feel like invasions of privacy, people get upset about, you know, I'm glad people saw it as an invasion of privacy because it was, but a lot of times people would be like, he's disgusting. He has kids. I mean, you know, you, you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know where the judgment's going to go. I was happy that one seemed to have gone in my way. I feel like your most controversial thing is um, whatever it was you were wearing to Jingle Ball last yeah, week. That was very controversial. <laughs> now, let me say, on my defense, it looked really good on stage. Um, and it will look good on ABC, I feel. But on the red carpet, when I saw that red carpet picture, I was like... Oh my God, this is real bad. I knew immediately when I saw it and I saw I was getting dragged on Twitter like on Saturday morning or something. And it's one of those things. And by the way, I've said, I'm so bad at dressing casually sometimes. And I was like, what do I wear to this thing? I was texting Nick and Anthony who I went with, who are my pals. And I was sending, I go, can I wear this? Can I wear that? Anyway, it was so bad. But again, you know, funny you say that because then I was, um, there's some guy that goes up to people on TikTok and sings. Harry, I love, I love him. He sings, Lewis, you've probably seen him. He sings to celebrities on TikTok. Right. uh, Catches them when they're exiting a building. Yeah. So I had never seen him. And my guys were like, Nick and Anthony were like, this guy is about to come over to you. He sings to people on TikTok. They go, have fun and just enjoy it. So I did. And then I looked on Twitter today, which I just should never open Twitter. And everyone's <laughs> dragging me like, what is he on? He's so old. Why is he doing that? I'm like, Jesus, I'm just trying to play along with this TikToker. I don't know what to do. What should I have done? Anyway, so this is, again, saying you just have to take it in stride. But sometimes it is hard, I have to say. Sometimes I so want to respond sometimes. But then when you respond, it's not good. Now, of course, as we've said before, you wear many hats at Bravo, but what is the best part of the off-screen part of your job? Like, what do you do that we never see that is interesting to you or most interesting? I love producing. I mean, I love being a producer, and that's on The Housewives. I like the casting conversations. I like, you know, figuring out problems. If I watch an episode of a show and I say, we got to think of a restructure, this ending isn't working, you know, what can we do, whatever, or... um. Or on Watch What Happens Live. I love it. I feel good when I can say, Julia Roberts and I should do Name Them. And then six hours later, I'm standing there with Julia Roberts doing the scene. So I think it's that kind of stuff. And and I think on Watch What Happens Live, it's just being a very active producer and in my mind sitting there being like, okay, I'm going to kill that next game and we're going to keep this conversation going. It's too good, you know? Mm, Stuff mm. like that. Mm. Okay, well, lastly, I'm going to finally ask a question or two that Lewis doesn't give a fuck about. But okay. um, what are you all doing to Miss Quad on Married to Medicine? You know what? I'm I am distressed. A, I know. I am distressed. I'm not a producer on Married to Medicine, so... Oh, interesting. I know. People are it's, upset. It is, and it's like, it's weird because it feels like, it feels like Bravo enjoys her, but it feels like, the you know, the women, you know, are... That's such a very interesting show because it's very different from 
Real Housewives. Those women like check in with each other off camera. Well, I talked to Dr. Jackie uh. about this and I said, what's the deal with the quad thing? And they feel like quad only shows up with them when the cameras are around and they are, yeah. a, you know, which is a housewives like, yeah, they all okay. collect a check, you know, you know but, but she, they did not, this group is very entwined. So, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I do not produce married to medicine. I love hosting the reunions though. They are some of my favorite to host. Now, if she's just like a housewife who comes and collects a check, would you put Miss Quad on Atlanta? I think it's an interesting question. I, I think, think she's the only person. I think she's one of the few people who um, could would come in and have a lot of energy. And also uh-huh. she knows all those women. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always been a thin line between Married to Medicine and Atlanta Housewives. And now you see Phaedra on Married to Medicine, which is mm-hmm. great. But, you know, we've flirted with having Phaedra back to Atlanta. And so she got back on married to medicine first. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, you know, it, it's always an interesting conversation. They're kind of two ecosystems, but they certainly overlap. And lastly, this is a podcast and we love, you know, recording our podcasts and we put our podcasts out, you know, where people can listen to podcasts and you can watch our video on YouTube. But what I'm concerned about is the amount of housewives who have podcasts and then put it on the show. How can we stop me from having to watch housewives recording their podcasts in scenes on episodes? Well, I think that what you're seeing, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think that what you're seeing is, I think that with like Meredith and Seth, on Salt mm-hmm. Lake City, I think that the point is that you're getting hopefully some insights into their marriage that you're mm-hmm. maybe not getting on the show because they're talking about shit naturally on the podcast that is about their marriage. And I think, in theory, watching Larsa and Marcus Jordan <laughs> doing their podcast in Miami may not be the most exciting thing. However, and I was watching a future episode, they're sitting there recording their podcast, and I was thinking... Oh, man. And then the conversation that they wound up having was really about their relationship in a way that I was like, oh, this is good. They're talking Mm. about shit that I am interested in. So I think there has to be a reason. But I respect what you're saying. And it's crossed my mind. But I think if they're advancing personal story about themselves, then I would argue that it's worthy of showing on the show. Just as long as you never let Tamra film with Teddy. Well, she hasn't. So there you go. <laughs> we haven't seen that. Wait, actual last question. Do you have a yeah. most memorable first meeting with a housewife? Where you, the, the, mm. the, the, maybe the first casting call, whatever, where you're like, oh, Jesus, who is this person? They have to be on TV. You know what? I don't meet with them typically. The New York women, I remember when we were recasting New York between season four and five, and we did that huge thing where we let go of Jill, Alex, Kelly, and Cindy Barshop. And, those, and Carol Radziwill, I knew for years, but I did sit down and meet with Heather. I remember meeting with her. So I don't typically sit with them until, but I did with some of the new Roni women when we recast mm-hmm. the entire show, because you just want to be sure. Um, but typically I don't meet with them. I will say, I mean, I'll never forget meeting Nini for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. I'll never forget um, 
meeting Lisa Vanderpump for the first time. There are some that just stick in your mind. I remember meeting the Jersey cast for the first time. I met them all as a group and they were all barely speaking. It was after they had shot the table flip and I had not met them in person. And they came to Bravo for like a, um, for a media training. And I was, I used to be in their sessions for their media training and it was, it was, you could cut the tension with a knife in the room. 10 part limited series about media training, the New Jersey cast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Honestly, you're so right. You're so right. Oh, that's do so you, funny. Do you like, um, do you avoid them sometimes, by the way? I mean, like, is it fun for you to be like at a party and all of a sudden you see a housewife is there that you didn't expect to be there and you're like, am I going to have to talk about work? It depends on the moment. Sometimes I absolutely want to see them. And sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I'll be on Fire Island and someone's like, <laughs> Kelly Dodd's on the island. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I, I want, when Kelly Dodd was on the island, I was like, <laughs> I got to see Kelly. You know, and I think I did. Yeah. Her, and she was great. But sometimes, no, you're like, this is my party zone. This is my safe space, you know? But I would say typically, I'm always happy to see them. We share something that is very unique and cool that we're in together, you know? So I feel like ultimately I owe them a lot of gratitude. Uh, so yeah, it's good. Well, thank you for being here, Andy. Jesus Christ, what a pleasure. Guys, yeah. you're so nice. Thank you very much. What a kind interview. Also, just somebody, it's like you end up having like 50 questions for, and then you answer them. And it's like, great. We all, we all benefit. It's wonderful. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, I'm glad we feel we benefited. Um, thank you guys for having me, and congratulations. Here's to 300 more episodes. Oh, thank you. That means a lot yeah. coming from you. What are you at? Like episode 7,600 now or something on Watch What Happens Live? Watch What Happens Live. We're entering year 15 this year. Mother believe of God. Oh, wow. I can't believe it. Radio Gun smoke shit. Entering year nine. Huh. I know. It's wild. He's going to kill me year 11. So, you know. <laughs> but for the ratings, yes. Legendary Norman Lear, the comedic tour de force, recently passed at the age of 101. He took all his Dalmatians with him. <laughs> you should write for late night with that kind of fucking joke. <laughs> Since he revolutionized the world of television, it would be criminal if we at Keep It didn't honor him with a retrospective of the shows he gave the world and the man that he was. First of all, let me say... Nothing was crazier than the fact that Norman Lear was actively working up until the day he died, whether or not it was through political activism or literally making television. Um, uh, you might know that Jimmy Kimmel does these live shows where he recreates old sitcom episodes and then like they get current actors to play old, uh, recently or a couple years ago. No, I mean, year and a half, two and a year. But anyway, we did one where it was. Uh, different strokes and the facts of life. And like Jennifer Aniston played Blair in the facts of life. And John Lithgow was part of different strokes. Kevin Hart was part of different strokes. And during the rehearsals for it, Norman Lear just walks in and sits down and, and is like observing it the way he's observed so many, you know, sitcoms in the past. And it was like crazy. He was so interested in it being good. And you would just look at him and be like, 
how can you still be doing this? Like, how can you still be interested? But that's his whole thing. He was interested in people and being a part of the discussion and helping. He was like such a politically rad person. But talking about the TV shows he made, basically until Norman Lear, TV was aspirationally quaint. Like, I would say the Brady Bunch is sort of, even though that's like almost a cartoonish example of quaintness, that was kind of what TV was about. Like, you wanted to see characters who had like a placid life with like easily manageable problems. And he basically said, there's a lot of tension in the living rooms of the people who are watching these shows. And that would be interesting to see on the small screen. When you watch All in the Family, like they'll resolve a fight and it felt sometimes it feels like a fight you may have literally had. Or like that episode of Maud where she gets an abortion, a two-part episode. That is still controversial today. He like if if that aired now, it would be extremely interesting. We would not know how to talk about an episode of that kind of power. Um he just was interested in TV being filled with people you might actually know in your real life. And that did not really happen prior to him. We had interesting creators like Rod Serling and Gene Roddenberry and stuff, but he was the one who literally said, no, the people watching these shows are way more interesting than the TV characters we're putting on screen right now. Well, and you know, Rod Serling and Gene Roddenberry were people who put those people on television, but they put them on they were telling those stories via metaphor. Yeah. I think during that period, we needed stories about um, race and class and uh, sexuality and feminism um, through Star Trek and its allegories, you know, through the Twilight Zone and, you know, the, the monsters on Maple Street showing you that it can be evil in the suburbs, yeah. you know? And I think that Norman Lear really put sort of the working class people on television and really dealt with race a lot too in not just in Archie Bunker being a racist you know but also in creating shows for black people to star in you know which obviously all the family spun off the Jeffersons which I mean Sherman Hemsley like Isabel Sanford Marla Gibbs please yes like to to create stars um in Edith and Archie Bunker but then to also put George Jefferson on that show and then create a show out of him. It's just, that is, those are iconic television characters. And it's um, not just that, you know, I, I grew up watching Sanford and Son and 227. I mean, like he put, though, like black shows that I watched on Nick at Night TV land were all Norman Lear. Um, it's also worth saying like, a black actress did not win an Emmy until 1970. That was Gail Fisher in uh, the TV show Manic. So it's like you have to understand mm-hmm. that like introducing black characters on TV was basically kind of radical. You know, like like Bill Cosby and I Spy was one of the first ones. You know, like that's that happened way later than the advent of television. I am uh, my favorite Norman Lear show is One Day at a Time, the original with Bonnie mm-hmm. Franklin and. Valerie Bertinelli, who was an amazing Keep It guest. Ira, you were not here for this. If you go back and listen to that interview, it's me, Guy Branham, and Diablo Cody who interview her. Um, Mackenzie Phillips is on that show, too. And basically, the show was, what if we just got into a family where it's three women? I mean, what show before that just had a bunch of women talking? You know, it just, it, it, it didn't exist, and he was interested in things like that. He also had some, basically, flops that were still ex- experimental triumphs. He had a show called All That Glitters, which was about if women had the patriarchal power in a workplace that men do, and like the men were more like Mm -hmm. sex objects. It's a very interesting experiment. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was a primetime soap that ran every single night. Yes. If you want to see the best of Mary Kay place, you got to watch that show. Um, 
Uh, Fernwood Tonight, which is a, a, a satire of late night comedy that starred uh, the late Fred Willard and the great Martin Mull. Literally any s- straight guy who's like 53 years old is obsessed with F- Fernwood Tonight. They haven't talked to you about it yet at a party, but it's true. Yeah, and I just think that um, obviously Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was a show that I saw as a kid and sort of, I think, influenced a lot of my creative taste. You know, it was the soap opera satire of it. I also really loved Silver Spoons. Oh, sure. Uh, Rick Schroeder, pre um, being the worst person who ever lived. And (laughs) him and Ryan O'Neill battling it out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Some combat there. Uh, But obviously, I I really just love how active he stayed um, in his later life. You know, like you said, politically, he was very um, involved with donating and also just donating to um, writers as well and supporting them. Um, One of my close friends, Cindy, um, worked for him. And so she would always give me updates on Norman Lear and um, sent me his memoir um when it had come out and i'm so sad that she tried to have him on the show right yes never, i forgot never, about but that but it never got to pan out that was like so 2018 sad. because yeah that was like that's a person who just cruelly um you can't have wanted a career in television and not be influenced by norman lear and i think what's interesting too about his career is he talks a bit in his book, too, about how he used to get complaints from people all the time. You know, um, I think he had a quote where it was, um, we get messages from Western Union, <laughs> which is LOL thinking about when we used to send things through Western Union. I got money from my parents in college via Western Union. That books. is very funny. Yeah. What was this delivered on Stagecoach? What, uh, yeah. Confusing. Um, um, oh, by the way, there is an amazing recollection of his life um, from Rob Reiner, who, of course, played uh meathead uh uh mike stivick on uh all in the family obviously very active on twitter now uh Mm -hmm. great recollection also just watch all in the family it's still really funny it's like i love lucy like the in the way that like it still holds up the jokes the rat-a-tat is all very alive very cool also um good times also that is funny Uh, 227 is just as funny now did he produce 227 well, so there was a writer, Christine Houston. Uh, apparently, she won a playwriting contest um, in his, that was in his name um, with 227, a story of women who lived together in Chicago in the 50s. And apparently, he took her under his wing, and eventually, Marla Gibbs got the script, and he served as a producer and helped her make that television show. Oh, because obviously, that takes place in Washington, D.C. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love Which just goes to show like what he would do, you know, for other writers, you know? He uh, loved writers, loved creatives. He, he He's like the Sondheim of TV. One of those people where everybody has the inspirational um, back and forth with this guy. And because he really cares, he just wants to be around like talented, cool people with great ideas. I mean, we talked about it last week with Juan about there being too many fucking Sondheim things yeah. on or off Broadway now. But television could actually stand to just reboot a bunch of Norman Lear shows. And of course, he was With a part of... the original scripts. Yeah, and of course, by the way, he was a part of the One Day at a Time reboot, which was um, uh, it's rad. And obviously, like, the last great thing Rita Moreno was given us, no shade to 80 for Brady, but... <laughs> she was in the West Side Story remake. Oh, yeah. No, she was good in that. 
People really overhyped her presence in that movie, though. She had the one scene. I was kind of expecting a little bit more. Lady Doc? Yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> a boy like that, you kill your brother. <laughs> <laughs> Not your worst work. Not your worst. Thank you. Thank, I've, I've worked on that one for years. Oh, okay. I, I, please, the amount of times I'll just be singing the West Side Story cast recording in my bedroom as a kid. Um, which reminds anyway. me, by the way, I'm doing a bit for Kimmel and I have to imitate the um, we come to this place for magic um, intonation of Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit hard. So just if you have any tips, let me know. Yeah. All right. Norman Lear. An icon. Fabulous. Please, please. Television himself. Hmm. Uh, when we're back, our last keep it of the year. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Lewis, what's yours? Um, I am bedeviled by a story I saw on Dumois. And I'm mm. so confused. And I know I will not get any more context about what this is. But just know it's on well, that's my your mind. that's first problem. That, that, precisely. Um, Being on Dumois. Yeah, right. <laughs> Apparently, in West Hollywood, where I live, Jason Mraz and Bjork got a drink together. I'm going to say that again. Jason Mraz and Bjork got a drink together, and they're just in West Hollywood, where I live. What are they doing? Why do they know each other? He said he was bisexual recently. Okay, that's scanning now. You're hanging out with her. And also, (laughs) Bjork, what are you getting out of him? I just have no idea where to begin with this story, what it could possibly mean. I don't really know anything about either of their personal lives, so I don't know whether this is like a music thing, a friend thing, a relationship thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I... Can't make heads or tails of it. And I help me. I do you, you hear me? I like have nothing to say because it's so insane. I don't know what to do. The geek in the pink and the diva from the ice rink. Yeah. Uh, what was that, Miss Minaj? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Petty? The what was that? The, <laughs> the geek in the pink was his song. Okay. And, um, I couldn't find a way to run that with Iceland, so I said ice rink. Right. Also, let's just talk about the Bjork quotient. <laughs> She's just lingering around LA. Does that seem right? She should be like riding an ice flow and and like beatboxing or something. Like, what is she doing? Well, he does like to beatbox. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. I wonder if they got into that. If, uh, mm. you know, she had that whole album where it's just vocal noises and the guy from Faith No More is like doing guttural weird shit. And then, you know, we stopped paying attention to Bjork because it was too weird for us. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I, that sounds like a... That sounds like a bizarre version of Who Weekly, because obviously we know who Jason Mraz and Bjork are. Right. But Lindsay and Bobby get to the bottom of it. Also, by the way, Bjork Please. should have won that Oscar for um, I've Seen It All from Dancing Dancer in the Dark. That's such a fucking awesome song with the lyrics written by Lars von Trier. All right. He does it all. <laughs> Triple threat. Yes. <laughs> and they say a maybe Nazi sympathizer. Can't I know, have it all. right, right. <laughs> a girl of a dream. All right, my keep it this week goes to the gays. Oh no, not them. Slash us. You know what? You know what? I am sick of seeing online Hole. these goddamn. Oh, <laughs> well, kind of, sort of, right. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I am sick of seeing these fucking prompts. Oh yeah, on Twitter. Um, A time this year, your chest looked fucking amazing. Let me see your back muscles. Yeah. Let me see. Let me see your thighs. It's 
Can you just link your fucking Instagram or OnlyFans and move on? Stop pretending you need like a fucking ambient voice in the wilderness to tell you to show a selfie with your shirt off. I mean, it's so stupid. Also, the some of the gays who have jumped on every single one, that's oh, right. all they posted all day, get a life. Yeah, it's tough. Right, right, right. Also, I, I mean, just in general, I find this is something you would see generally speaking on Twitter, I feel like, but it is leaked over to mm-hmm. Instagram. I just, I, you know, you know, my hard and fast hot take is that I find Instagram more depressing than Twitter. Always. It's Facebook now. Yeah. Ooh, sick. Every old Tell that meme, to the PR team there. <laughs> every old meme from Twitter, every old meme from TikTok, something that you've seen before, it all, it pops into people's stories. Or, or their posts, God forbid, on Instagram. Yeah. Whatever happened to photos? Whatever happened to fun? <laughs> Do you know As what I, I fall out a window. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Johnston. Come on, keep it, Kristen Johnston. Do you know what I kind of miss about Twitter? And I think it might be mm. coming back because we're getting a new late night version of it. Bring us back the at midnight joke shit where like they give you a prompt oh, and then you fun. and then you come back with a pun or something. That gives everybody something to do. A little uh, Jackbox fun for everybody on Twitter. Mm, a little yuck yuck, if you will. Right. I've already explained yeah. my theory that I believe I created the show at midnight and I'm not getting credit for it. Do you know how this happened? Mm, no. I worked for two, like six weeks. It was a short program at VH1 where they had you pitch ideas for TV shows. And because you didn't, you weren't represented or anything, they paid you like a nickel and then whatever for any idea they bought off you. I sold something called Tweet Fighter where people compete on stage to fill in tweets and make them funny and then the audience votes on them. And that was through Viacom. And then on Comedy Central, a few years later, there was a show called At Midnight, where they basically do that, fill in tweets. Okay, well... That's my conspiracy theory about my success. Thank you. If you would like to sue them, (laughs) then I think that I would have a second really hot blacklist script (laughs) (laughs) about you. (laughs) Or I could just fold that into the Jeopardy story oh that's right the snap your whole screenwriting career depends on me i forgot all about that yeah you know we're a symbiosis right 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 we help each other right 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 you are tilda and i'm dakota uh, <laughs> wow i love them in movies together yeah i just watched suspiria last night the remake it's the so time. fucking disturbing it's also not good it's so long <laughs> when people love that movie it's, i'm like there's like three good parts yeah, I was watching it on a date last night, and at a certain point, he was like, "When's this movie over?" Also, when does when does the <laughs> movie checked, start? And it was an Chloe, hour left. When does this movie start? Chloe Grace Moretz is like giving a monologue for like a fucking hour before we get to fucking Dakota <laughs> Johnson. Anyway, what happened to that movie being about witches in a creepy school? Right, that's what we wanted. And then, and then all this other stuff about the doctor and his. His, his wife that he's trying to get back to, uh, who he lost after the Holocaust. It's, it's, it's a very sad story. I don't know that I particularly care about it in the context of these naked witches ripping people's heads off. Yeah. It's, it's, it's two different movies. I don't want to see basically. elbows do that. What happens in that movie? Yeah. It's really gross. Anyway. That's our year. Yeah. Um, I would say it was a good one. It was good. What 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 are our hopes for next year? Oh Jesus Christ! That my cancellation is a creative one. I just hope mm-hmm. that it, the way it goes down, everybody like learns something. Um, 
this Maria Callas movie is coming out oh, next year. Oh, fuck. Slay Boots Up Down Backwards. I cannot wait for this shit with Angelina Jolie. Okay. Whatever that was you just said. Yeah. Uh, we need Angelina Jolie on Keep It next year. Yeah, please. I'm right. not playing around. Please. My queen, my icon in, in this fucking Maria Callas movie. Like, I want to talk to her about it. Also, like, I didn't love Jackie. I didn't love Spencer. I'm waiting to love the Pablo Lorraine movie. So let's hope that the movie is just excellent also. Yeah. All right. Well, here's, we're signing off. And we'll see you uh, the second week of January. Wahoo. We'll see you in two weeks. Don't forget to follow Crooked Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can also subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our producer is Chris Lord, and our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, Louis Vertel, and Kendra James. Our digital team is Megan Patzel, Claudia Shang, and Rachel Gajewski. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to Matt DeGroote, David Tolles, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support every week. A car is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit kellybluebook.com to get the journey started. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away! Throw our last crunch berry! No! No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. <laughs>